This is the Upgraded Life Podcast, episode 24, and in this show, I'm going to bring you Dr. Corey Gilbert. He is a best-selling author. He is a coach to parents that helps parents learn how to talk to their kids. The title of his book is, I Can't Say That, and it's all about how do you have effective, structured conversations about sexuality with your kids. So if you're a parent raising children in today's society and environment, I'm going to tell you, you need to listen to this episode. You need to hear what Dr. Corey Gilbert has to say. So buckle in because we're going on a ride with Dr. Corey Gilbert. Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. The Upgraded Life is my personal project where I help people realize and reach their potential. I've been a professional helper for 20 years. Here's what I'm convinced of. The life that you have right now and the life that you want tomorrow is a product of your personal mindset, mission, and movement. Each episode of the Upgraded Life podcast is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the episode is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission. Your mission tells you how to move every single day. And together, that is The Upgraded Life. All right, and thanks for listening to The Upgraded Life podcast. Today, I have Dr. Corey Gilbert. And Dr. Gilbert is a lot like me in that we have a lot of irons in the fire. We do a lot of different things, um, have a lot of different um, types of pursuits and passions, and it keeps us busy. So I really appreciate you, uh, Dr. Gilbert, for making time for me because I know it's not uh, always easy to carve out uh, an hour plus to do something like this. So I, I really appreciate that. The other thing that I think I realized is uh, you're involved and in, in your boys are in scouts? Yes. Yeah. So I am an Eagle Scout, so we have that in, in, in common, whether we knew that or not. So Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Corey. Um, tell me and the listeners who you are and what you're up to and what you're excited about these days. Well, um, been actually this summer, we'll have been in private practice for 20 years, um, but that was always kind of on the side. And so the last 15 years, I've been a professor, university professor. Um, and just love serving people. And it's funny because it really solidified itself when I was in seminary and uh, worked as a janitor and just loved serving the church in that way. Mm -hmm. um, it was one of my favorite jobs over the years to get, you know, to launch into the career I've had. But sure. um, lately it's podcasting. It's my YouTube channel. It's uh, just we're editing my second book right now, my wife and I. And just lots of fun stuff. So like you said, just lots of irons in the fire, yeah. but that's what keeps me sane. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that the, you know, the positive spin on people like us is high performers. And uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I've been working through um, people that I lead at work through mm -hmm. uh, Brendan's book, High Performance Habits. And so I've been re-listening to Good. it recently. And, you know, I don't know if it's in chapter one or in the introduction, but it really spoke to me is that he, uh, Brendan Pritchard sets us free. He's, you know, he says, look, there, there are, there's a certain strain of, of, of person, right. That is 
um, a high performer and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay to, to be a high performer and there's other people that it's not for them and that's okay too, but don't yes. let those other people necessarily, um, you know, speak so loudly into your being that you start to quote unquote slow down. Right. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I really appreciated hearing that um, from him really did my soul some good and mm-hmm. get me pressing forward. So y- you said private practice for 20 years. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to hear this. have no idea what that means. So, so tell me about private practice for 20 years. Well, so um, tw- this summer, 20 years ago, so the year 2000, I, left seminary with a master's in counseling, marriage and family counseling, and struck out on my own up in Kansas where there were no Christian counselors available and had a supervisor and that's where it started. But then I realized I've had zero classes in business. <laughs> I don't know how to run a business. Right. And so I failed miserably at the business side, but just fell in love with helping people. Yeah. And then started working for the state, uh, doing child, pro- the, not ch- the, we call it the home preservation going in homes, doing therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my whole life collapsed at that point with health issues. Mm. So that's where that high performance thing, I was working about 70 hours a week, mm-hmm. single. And I went into the hospital with a four point something hemoglobin level. I'd been bleeding internally and my life changed drastically. Wow. So, um, it, it's led to a lot of uh, interesting journey, but um, definitely almost fuels my desire to keep pushing harder. Sure. Um, sure. To not let that be true, what could have been. Yeah, so I wasn't too far behind you. I started private practice in 2006. All right. Basically, right after I graduated in 2005. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was already doing quote unquote agency work, working for the state in, in, in you know, in a helping profession. So, I knew that I didn't want to do that anymore. And right. so, you know, doing or doing it even more, I guess I'm still doing mm-hmm. it right. But doing it even more. <clears throat> but so I, you know, opened up private practice. I actually had the fortune of having an office partner who was business savvy, nice. uh, very, very business savvy. And so learned kind of right away, uh, just observing and uh, under his coaching and mentoring about, understanding that yes, it's a private practice, but first and foremost, it's a business and it's a business that is based on people consuming your services. And Mm -hmm. you have to keep that front and center because uh, people just aren't, I mean, yes, by default people will, and I'm speaking, we're speaking to counselors now that might be considering private practice, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. You might get lucky and you might get some people that trickle through the door However, they're just not going to come and jump, you know, out of their way to find you, right? right? It is a business, which means you have to market and you have to market on a continual basis. You can't just do it one time and expect, you know, uh, magic to occur. And so uh, I appreciate you saying that. So after 20 years, what were some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in terms of treating your private practice as a business? Well, I feel like I've just now in the last two years learning marketing. Yeah where I've, I basically have ventured out about two years ago going, I want to build something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what I do as a professor and I love counseling and I'm a trauma specialist and a sex therapist. And it's like how to use all these things and pull them together. And I actually started just taking classes. Might as well have gotten an MBA, but <laughs> I started learning uh, about social media marketing. That's where I got into 
podcasting and other things that it's content and it's it it was fighting my my training as a as a missionary kid i grew up in south america in chile as a missionary kid mm-hmm. where as a christian i basically was it's, i feel like i was taught to just settle for whatever people can pay settle for as low a salary as possible that's actually more more uh that's humbling honorable honorable there's the word and it was horrible and so i'm not now realizing no um i'm excited to serve and i love uh what i do and i can do it well so things have shifted and i've actually shifted in the last two years to more of a coaching actually more even discipleship model mm-hmm. and just having a blast with serving uh, people in a very different way walking alongside in a different way um and then sp- stages so that's my other big one i love getting on the stage and and speaking at events men's retreats couples retreats um and my area of specialty really has become talking to your kids about sex so the age-appropriate conversations so parenting stuff and then through all this boy scouts came along i'm not an eagle scout my dad is (laughs) and my two boys are well on their way to become one i hope they will and so i'm the scout master for our boy scout troop here in salem Nice. What troop and number? Troop number two. Number two. Yeah, seven zero. We're brand new. We started up just a few years ago. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. But it's been challenging to me to see just how that's another way of serving, mm-hmm. uh, and just have had a blast with that. Mm-hmm. So, the private practice side, I learned that you have to charge people. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you can't live on um, thank yous, and yeah. that was just a hard one for me. Yeah. And was that part of the shift that you talked about? Yes. Yeah. Big time. So yeah, kind of like what you're saying about um, Brennan, um, that book you're re- you're talking about. He, the whole mindset of money and the mindset of even value has been I've been it's been challenged in me uh, lately. Mm-hmm. It's been neat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been in the past couple of years um, very similar, just trying to you know look at what's where I'm at and, and what's going on and realizing that there could be more and, and, you know, really haven't reached my personal potential for sure. And you know, doing some personal development work on my end and got in front of somebody that, you know, even from a faith perspective, really kind of said like, look, you, you live in a time and an era in, in a, in a country where building wealth is relatively easy compared to other times, other eras, right. other countries. And as a believer, you're obligated to use that resource. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be for for my personal gain, our personal gain. However, we can leverage that ability, wealth building ability to do all kinds of great things. It right? is. And that's, mean, that's a huge mind shift for me too. Right. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad years ago, and what's literally <laughs> funny to me is I'm literally the poor dad, the right. college professor yeah. in that book. And so it's like, wow, even though we're richer than the majority of the world, yeah. even at the lowest end, and that's humbling, but how can we better serve um, those that need us? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the title of your first book, if I remember right, is something like you can't say that or I can't say that. Yes. I can't say that. So, yeah. so walk us through that a little bit. Give us an overview of that book and why in the world um, did you write that book? It was a labor of love. Yeah. It's one of those, I am not a writer. And so <laughs> it's been fun process to, I 
I got a writing coach who mm-hmm. actually met with me weekly and held my feet to the fire. The number one rule was don't show any of it to my wife. Okay. <laughs> Cause she would make me, she, her editing was priceless. She, that was later. Right. But, um, it, it's a book about how to talk to your kids about sex and sexuality and gender from a biblical perspective, mm-hmm. walking through scripture, walking through age appropriate conversations and just kind of unpacking not only theology, but also just how to have those conversations. It's mainly for the parent to know what they believe first. Mm-hmm. We're teaching our kids whether we intend to or not, whether it's intentional or not. So it's really about them building their own ethos of gender, sexuality, marriage, what is or isn't okay, mm-hmm. where are the lines, how do you address hard, hot, hot topics? Sure. Because I find parents just won't go there. And then literally it's the school friends, porn, that that's the main teacher. Mm-hmm. I've taught a human sexuality class for 15 years and I've pulled, I've done research with that class all these years, hands down these Christian kids at a Christian university say, I wish my parents basically had gone there. Um, and even the parents would say, I, I was available. I told them I was available, but the parents didn't take the risk sure, because of that uncomfortability. Mm-hmm. So, so was it out of that, you know, collective 15 years experience mm-hmm. that really kind of said somebody needs to do something about this? What else was behind that book for you? Well, and then you, to use it to get into people's hands to say, Hey, I would love to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, became a, also that idea of a marketing tool and mm-hmm. it's a book and a workbook. So right now the, um, we're editing the second one, which is a book for preteens and teens. So similar content, nice. but it's, if you won't talk to your kids, well then give them this one. Yeah. So working on, there's already a, we have a funnel up with a pre-sales, but we're still editing. It's not nice. 70,000 words. Yeah. So um, in, inevitably there's parents that are going to be listening um, to this and that are going to have kids. So what's, what's the risk of not going there to use your language as a parent with your child? You know, what, 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 what could happen? What I found is the kids as they learn um, what they quickly learn is whoever it's almost as if whoever they learn it from first, the rest of the people are not really that intelligent. Mm-hmm. So if they learn it from the school or their friends, mom and dad are dumb. Mm-hmm. So like a few years ago or a year and a half ago, California said, let's teach all the genders in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So we can either freak out about that or we can go, no, let's teach our children from before kindergarten so when they walk into car- kindergarten, they have it. But what I hear from parents is, oh, they're too young. <laughs> well, they're going to learn it there. Right. What if they learn it from you? Right. What if we're intentional? And what I find is most parents talk about the talk being like 13, 14, 15. And I'm saying, no, that's probably between 8 to 10. Mm-hmm. But you need to prepare them. And yeah, there are differences in kids' maturities, but prepare them for what's coming, not address it when it's already come. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the biggest shift. Mm-hmm. And I talk about micro conversations all through the book. It's sure. little tiny seeds planted over and over and over where you catch moments. Sure. So if, if parents don't go first, then they run the risk of not being the predominant voice in mm-hmm. their child's mind about you know, how to filter these things and, and who, who to see as um, somebody that they can trust and mm-hmm. who has the authority there. Or even just very... So parents didn't maybe mean to come across as extremely critical of other people that are different. 
yet that's what the kid picks up. Mm-hmm. That child grows up being very hateful towards someone who's different than them, mm-hmm. whether it's race, whether it's gender um, or attractions. And the, part of it's also to grow that compassion that we need to care for other people wherever they're at. And so that's another big part of kind of my, my heart and my push in the book. And then the workbook, it's through the book too, but the workbook walks through scripture. What does the Bible say? It doesn't actually give the answers. It's saying here, you think through this. It's kind of, I curated all that to help the parent think through uh, so that if they've gone through it themselves, they can talk to their parent, to their kids uh, with much more confidence. Um, And when they don't know, they can say, I don't know. They can look things up themselves Mm -hmm. to empower parents. Yeah. And so you said that one of the things that a parent might say is, you know, oh, oh my kids are too young. You know, what, what else gets in the way um, from parents, you know, plunging into this? Their own story. So mm-hmm. another big part of the book is trauma stuff. Mm-hmm. Is if I don't deal with my own past and so my own hurts, it tends to be those that limit my ability to um, address pornography. You know, if the dad's struggling with a porn addiction, it's kind of most likely true that they're not going to address it with their child or they're going to be extremely harsh mm-hmm. it's kind of the two extremes so helping the, that parent address their own trauma past uh, i believe all of us have har- hurts and harm from our family no parents perfect so part of it's also lifting the weight of that off of parents that you will make mistakes i promise so get that out of the way and then how are you going to say I'm sorry and say forgive me and be a model of grace and a model of not perfection? This past generation, that's a lot of it. It was a lot of perfection that was fake and the kids saw through the fake and said, I don't want anything to do with that or your Christianity or anything you mm-hmm. believe. And so I want there to be a vulnerability um, and honesty and yes, age appropriate, but. Um, in. And would you say that parents working through their own stuff is, you know, 100% necessary in order to be effective in talking to their own children about sex and sexuality? I mean, is it, is it a, you know, yes, you know, absolutely. Yes. Parents have to work through their own stuff. Otherwise. No, I'd say it's a process. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, what has happened is they're not even in the process. Mm-hmm. It's la 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 la. And they're running and running and running and it's got its tentacles reaching in and it's affecting their life almost like a puppet and they don't see it. So it's, I think our whole life is working out some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, My website I bought was healinglives.com back in the year 2000. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I know. And a number of years ago, I was like, I don't like that because to me, healing is heaven. Yeah. This side of earth, this side of heaven, we don't find that the true healing we want until I realized even just the word healing, it's a process. We are in process. And so some of the most amazing people are in their seventies that are finally being broken over stuff they fought for years and they're opening up. It's sad that it took so long. Mm -hmm. So being able to a parent being teachable, I think is a critical one. If they Mm -hmm. think they have to have it all together, know it all have, have no past. Sure the kids see through that quickly. Yeah. So that vulnerability is important. Yeah. So I, I like that. It's, it's, it's more important to be involved in the process and that mm-hmm. it's always a process. Yeah. 
So tell me about your process. How, how did you get into, you know, the field of being a helper? You know, it sounded like you were in seminary, but you left seminary with a counseling degree. Walk me through that. Well, so I graduated, I came back to the United States as a senior in high school, which was a language change. I'd grown up all in Spanish. Right. That was rough. Um, and the culture shock was just right. horrific. It sent me into a tailspin. So mental health stuff, depression, suicide attempts, a few of those. Um, but then I got on a medication, was able to see life can be very different, got off of it. Always prob problems with dating that didn't work out too well. Um, and then I went to oh, senior year of college. I was sat down by my professors right before that and was told I can't graduate because I don't have enough talent. I was a music major. Oh. My heart and desire was music ministry, music, music, music. And they were like, you can't pass your recitals. So my whole life ended or began. Right. It opened up one elective, which was a counseling class that I took. Wow. And two weeks after graduation, I was in seminary starting my master's in marriage and family counseling and a master's in Christian education. I was a C and D student before. And all of a sudden I was in a program that required a three, five GPA and I was doing it and then did it two master's degrees graduated there. Still no marriage, still no God's what are you doing? Um, and dove into counseling practice. And it seemed like every person that came had stuff that I couldn't deal with. So I just dove in and read and studied. And eventually I went to the Institute for sexual wholeness in Atlanta with uh, Michael Seitzma and Doug Rosenau and did the sex therapy training through them. Mm -hmm. Mark Yarhouse and a number of other amazing teachers that kind of gave me that foundation from a biblical worldview and led into a focus more on gender, sexuality, trauma. Um, and so that's become kind of the main areas I teach in and the main areas that I speak and now write um, and counsel in. So right now I focus mostly on couples and families dealing with past trauma or current stuff like adulteries, adultery stuff or kids that are acting out sexually um, or porn issues. So kind of that general area of trauma and sexuality. Sure. You know, and, and I think it, you know, the average person is pretty much aware of, you know, the, the downside of things like pornography or, you know, sex addiction, um, you know, being, you know, closed off in terms of communication, you know, with your own partner and your kids. I think the average person is kind of aware of that. Um, but I'm interested, uh, Corey, is what's different about your message? What's different about your take and approach to, to this topic? Um, a big difference for me is what I'm seeing across basically the United States is trauma work. We're finding just amazing advances in, in how you work with people. I love, you know, from Peter Levine to the body keeps the score. Um, I was at Babette Rothschild. Um, those kind of amazing research. I love it. But it's like this, you get into it and basically you spend the rest of your life literally stuck in therapy or stuck hurting and processing. And I don't believe that's, first of all, the gospel. Um, and not that we're free from, but I feel like we stay trapped even in that process. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that I talk to couples is 
when you're focused on your problems or when I'm focused on my own problems, I'm useless for the people that are around me. So my goal is quick. I like to work with people for just a few months and then get out of the way. And then I'm here if you need me much more intensives. I ditched the whole hour session years ago. I do four or five, six hours at a time. Um, we're going to dive in deep. We're going to work through this. It's going to hurt. And we're going to find a time that we're done. And we're going to then look back. Mm -hmm. And I want to see great transformations. I want you to believe in great transformations. And then the reality of, no, we're not getting rid of the past, which is also some lies that sometimes are given. So for me, it's the power of our mind, the power of redoing the way that our brain files memories, um, understanding just the biology of it changes the way that we actually understand our, our memories. Understanding the biology helps us, I think, find freedom and choice on mm -hmm. in patterns that we find ourselves in. And that's exciting to me. It's exciting yeah. to see a person who's been stuck realize, actually, no, I always have a choice. Right. It just might be a harder one now. <laughs> um, I teach a class called Abnormal Psych that everyone probably takes in their master's program. But at the undergrad, I get to teach it as a, here are the alternatives to what the book says. Yeah. Because to me, I love all of the alternative approaches. Medication is an option, but not first. It's down mm -hmm. the road. Or it's a tool that's used briefly for most people. For some people, it's a lifesaver for a lifetime. But being able to put that in perspective of there's other ways of um, finding, yes, healing, it's a process, but um, finding a different life. Kind of what you asked kind of even earlier before we started, that mindset stuff. Um, when my mindset's that fixed mindset and I'm just, is just who I am, we're going to stay there. We're not going to get very far versus yeah. that growth mindset. When I was in my twenties, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I was put on high doses of steroids. I was told by doctors, you'll never work again. I was told by many that you're done basically. Mm -hmm. Then I met my wife walking with a cane, <laughs> all bloated up with prednisone. She married me, which I don't know why she did that. She's crazy. <laughs> and a few years later, I met someone that got me off all those medications. And I've lived med-free and no surgeries, even though I still have Crohn's and it fights me all the time. Because mm -hmm. I really have found other things that have been helpful. Um, other tools, tools that God made, tools that man has found. But... Mm -hmm. um, and as simple as just lifestyle, diet, and I'm a high achiever. I'm a fast go, go, go person, which is counterintuitive to Crohn's disease. Right. But one of the things that I learned a long time ago was the, my resting state, like in my brain, it's switching to something else. Mm. So my brain stays on people and problems and they weigh on me. It really hurts sometimes. So my resting state is riding my Harley or um, working on a project around the house, plumbing, mm -hmm. electrical, something where it's using a different part of my brain. And I actually am resting there. Right. And that became freeing. Yeah. I'm still doing something. Yeah. No, I, I, I align with that quite a bit. I definitely. Nice. It also kind of leads though, at least in, in my world to never ending projects. It does. Yes. <laughs> in Georgia, we had a house built in 1893 and I restored that house from trees growing into it when we bought it to this gorgeous 
gorgeous house when we yeah. left. Um, so, so labor of love. I could be completely off base here, but for like the last five, six minutes, you sounded way more like a coach and not nearly as much like a therapist. It's funny because when I started working in therapy 20 years ago, my supervisor at the time said, Corey, you're not like those other people. You're more of a pastoral counselor. And I didn't understand what she meant. Fast forward all these years, all that I've done. And it's funny because it's true. I, Actually, the word discipleship is the one that comes to my mind, is I would like to walk alongside people, help give them tools. When I first started in counseling, I felt like I was trying to, I was working harder than they were. And that, if you're not careful, that becomes a lot of the therapy we do, mm-hmm. which is not okay. And that coaching has been a perfect fit. It's exciting mm-hmm. to walk alongside people, give them tools and see their marriage change. See that when the marriage is actually okay or healthy, it impacts the kids, it impacts their business, it impacts their income, it impacts everything. And I see marriage as such a central piece to the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I feel stuck in my marriage, it's funny how I get stuck with my kids and stuck in business. And so that's been exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Corey, how do you how do you respond or how have you made sense for yourself, the difference between mental health counseling therapy and and coaching? What's your take on that? Um, I feel like the mental health counseling, it's one of those lines that worries me at times because I feel like there's just so many people out there that just take a little $50 class and they're a coach now. And that's growing. I feel like there's going to need to be some regulation there too, which I don't like, but, um, it's sad. The counseling is more, you come from the training and you're walking alongside someone, but I feel like it's a lot more hands-on, but I feel like if you're not careful, it's also just this long-term rabbit hole, not focused on results. Mm-hmm. Right. We're coaching. It's shorter term and it's very much focused on results, mm-hmm. which gets me excited. Mm-hmm. I want to see you change. If we, if I don't see you change, then what did I, why was I doing this? Right. Very frustrating. So I want to keep you there. So if, if, cause I'm with you. So if, if mental health counseling isn't focused on results, then what, what is it focused on? That's what I worry about sometimes too, is (laughs) what is it focused on? Right. I feel like it's supposed to be on results, but the model has been, you pay me for my hour. Right. No matter what you got out of it. Right. I remember a study when I was in seminary of people that used our, our seminary counseling center. Why of, of the people that came for one session, why did they not come back for a second? The majority of them, 90 plus percent said, I got what I needed. That was really cool. And then the, about half of them even said, and I actually had already decided what I needed before the first session. I just mm-hmm. kind of came to get confirmation. <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. As in a lot of what we have is inside of us. A lot of times we know what to do. Sure. Do I really need a therapist right. or do I need someone to just walk alongside me and guide me? Right. Kind of a story brand from um Don Miller. Don Miller, yeah. Yeah, the idea of the guide. Yep. That one changed my like shifted everything for me. Yep. The idea of I'm walking alongside you as a guide. Right. You're the hero in your story. Absolutely. How can I come alongside that one? Mm-hmm. The therapy, 
this is the one with with trauma. Like you, you deal with this too a lot in your work. I'm sure trauma is not a, that's something you don't play around with. I mean, that can, that, that hurts so much and deep in our core shame. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's not an easy road out, if you will. Absolutely. And that's where I feel like there's a certain line where some people need to go into therapy counseling with the goal of working through some of that stuff, then a coach can kind of pick it up from there. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I want to keep you there too. Yeah. Um, Cause this is, this is a topic that's really interesting to me because there's not a whole lot of us out there, meaning us, meaning we know very well uh, as well as, as anybody, the ins and outs of what it means to be a mental health counselor right in the in the system and and all that um and we also know the coaching side of it and you don't there's not a whole lot of people that really understand intimately both disciplines and so for me this is exciting to have somebody that i can you know talk to about this um but you know i have a i have a concern about even though it shouldn't be this way, right? I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying that, that it should be this way, but somebody who makes an appointment to a mental health counselor and if they're going to bill insurance just to have one session, just to have some confirmation of something that they've already decided before they went into therapy, uh, I, I just don't, I can't buy off on that. I think there's problems with that. Um, I think there's ethical problems with that, honestly, from, from the counseling profession, right? Because if you're going to, if you're going to bill and get reimbursed for that, you're, you're going to have to diagnose that person. And what are you diagnosing them with? You have thoughts on that whole diagnosis dilemma for people who um, are seeking services. And there's, there's plenty of people that are willing to provide the service, but do they really kind of give a good thought, good ethical informed consent to the ramifications of carrying, you know, a, a, a medical mental health diagnosis that's, gonna follow them for 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 forevermore i know from the beginning for me i refused i never took insurance and i refused to diagnose partly because of the lack of confidentiality mm-hmm. once it's a medical record but then ferpa and hipaa and all that stuff came into play later right which is a good thing but it still does pursue a person and so i i don't like it the companies i've worked for over the years especially in the beginning I feel like they literally had these codes are the ones that right. you don't get fought in court. So right. we'll only use these codes. Absolutely. So yep. what's the DSM for? Right. The Di- Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders 5. It's a billing codes. Yeah. And so I remind even my clients who sometimes come in with printouts from it. And I go, this is not about treatment. There's no hope in this book. It's a hopeless book. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's not about we, this diagnosis leads to this treatment, then what's the ADD? Great. The goal of it narrowing down to those symptoms or that cluster of symptoms is about treatment. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we fall off the course. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's even, I think, scarier is there are some pastors who have zero training as counselors who are better at the job <laughs> right. than licensed, trained Yeah. Because it's a person. Yeah. I remember uh, our friend, our friend in common, Lauren Hawkins. He yeah. went to a conference in yeah. Chicago and the Center for Excellence. That, hmm? The Center for Excellence. Yes. 
And he was saying that the study was showing that we talk about evidence-based, evidence-based, evidence-based. No, the key factor is the therapeutic alliance, the relationship with the person. Yep. And that's huge, I think. Yeah. And, you know, and it's Miller. Mm -hmm. Steve, it's not Steve Miller, got Steve Miller band, but anyway. (laughs) And then Bill Miller is motivation intervening. So there's too many Millers Mm -hmm. involved, but that Miller, Center of Excellence, um, Mm -hmm. the heart and soul of change, wrote a book. He yep. also has a startling statistic too that says like you, you're going to be your best therapist on the you know on average after 40 hours of, of training and 40 hours of of doing the the uh, you know actual therapy and you know I I, I repeated that to my um, doctoral chair and she you know she just did not believe it and but it really speaks to that piece of if relationship is the key, your ability to form relationship, your ability to have empathy, first order, second order empathy, you know, my school of, of counseling is um, sustained empathic inquiry or sustained mm-hmm. empathic attunement, right? Yeah. If you're a jerk, it is, you can get all the training in the world and you're not going to be as effective as I was like, you were saying, you know, pastoral counselings or counselors who, who don't have a lick in, of, of, you know, formal clinical training, but yet they're pretty effective because they have the ability to listen, to connect and, and do the things that the research really says is most important. So I think that's a, that's a fascinating, you know, tidbit of data that after 40 hours, either you got it or you don't, I mean, within the bell curve, right. Some people will improve, right. You know, some people absolutely will not in some way. I've been really teaching for 15 plus years and to see my counseling skills class every year, <laughs> it's funny because sometimes the ones that stand out the most are the ones that are taking it as an elective. Right. <laughs> They just wanted to brush up on some skills. They right. love helping people. They, they had their natural, schedule. <laughs> yeah. Work their schedule, but they had a natural like knack for people where these other ones who are training to be a counselor, right. man, they struggled. And yeah. it'd be interesting to look at how many after 40 hours, did they really get it or right. how many of them have switched professions? Yeah. Yeah. So then, so we're, I mean, we're, we're basically on the same page there. I never build insurance mm-hmm. either. Um, mm-hmm. And I never had a problem building uh, private practice either. That's another kind of, you know, misnomer out there that if you don't bill insurance, then you're not going to make it. And, right. you know, what, what I have found in, you know, my, my model, it's on the verge of kind of being rolled out there too, in terms of a product is, is it, you know, from day one, if you stick to it, it takes about 18 months. That's been my experience because I've done it, you know, about a half dozen times where I've helped clinicians, you know, build a private practice that met their needs and more. And that's what I've seen. And by about the, you know, the 18 month mark, you start to be able to make some decisions for what your future is going to look like types of people that you're going to work with versus the ones you're not going to work with, how much you're going to charge, you know, how much are you willing to, you know, what is exactly your, your sliding scale, your scale fee there. But um, that's what I've kind of seen from, you know, private practice on my end of it and then not billing insurance. Um, however, you know, I, I did run into a snafu once where, um, I had a supervisee cause I'm a supervisor as well. And that's what mm-hmm. I primarily do now is, is supervise clinicians and again, help them to build private practice, but she's going to be hauled into court, uh, child custody case, things that were obvious to me on the front end that weren't for her. And she didn't think to tell me about them, but long story mm-hmm. short. Um, so I, you know, she, kind of calls me in a panic and says, Hey, you know, I'm going to, going to have to go to court. My files being, you know, getting subpoenaed and all this jazz. And, and I said, well, okay, well, what, what's your, you know, 
you know, what's your, what's your operating diagnosis for this case? And then there was just silence. And then she said, well, I didn't think I had to diagnose because I wasn't billing insurance. And I was like, Oh, and so we kind of walk through the ins and out of that, but you know, like you, like you're going, there's the whole, you know, DSM five and you know, although what I'm going to say, people are going to laugh at, they're going to follow their chairs, but Z codes, right? Z codes and, and V codes. You know, if you look at the header for that chapter in the DSM, it says other major focuses of treatment or other major focuses mm -hmm. of counseling, right? So mm -hmm. as far as the DSM is concerned, it's a legitimate diagnosis that can drive your treatment planning mm -hmm. and, and all that. However, like you said, we are being so conditioned so shaped by insurance panels to say oh you know there's basically only four or five diagnoses that we'll accept and yeah. so private practice use z codes right yeah. um, use phase of life problems use parent child relationship issues yeah you can't bill for them but it's still a a diagnosis that's legitimate it exists it's in the manual and it definitely can apply and it can uh, drive your process and treatment plan thoughts on that well and also the it's sad to me how I feel like in the master's programs currently that I'm seeing, we're training clinicians to be so, um, what's a good word, politically correct, right? that they're, they can't have any opinion. They can't, it's almost like they're just sitting there saying, mm -hmm, you're so smart, mm -hmm, you're so smart, versus more directive, mm -hmm. which is weird to me because it's, that's not the training I received, but I feel like we've gotten into a place where everything is so hot topic that we can't say, you know what, maybe that's not working out for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should try this. Yeah. Or God forbid you come from a biblical perspective and say, Hey, that doesn't line up with this. Sure. Well, there's so many, we're so litigious. Like right now, even with the current state status of the world, people are afraid to open up because what right. if someone it's fear and right. it's like, how to empower them and it's i know we don't want to tell people what to do because then if i say what we do right. what you do and then it fails then it's right. on me no but it's the idea i use the egan model um from the the skilled helper the skilled helper yeah yeah out of and you know the brainstorming piece they actually changed the model and removed that word at one point and i'm like no no no, no. that goes right back in there it's <laughs> it's in the diagram or used to be yeah but that's a critical piece of let's look at all the options we can possibly think of. Mm -hmm. But then in the end, yes, it's on the client to make that choice. We are being conditioned to think a certain way. And mm -hmm. um, I guess, again, that's why I stay away from insurance <laughs> altogether. I actually have moved away from even fee for service and I do contracts. Okay. Where what does I that use, look like? It's two month or six month contracts. Mm -hmm where basically I'm, I'm yours for that period of time mm -hmm. and we're going to dive in. What I found for marriages, they'll come for a few weeks and then things start getting a little better and they quit. Yeah. Like, no, 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 you still got me. You're stuck. <laughs> and some of the selling point is we're, you're going to be okay for a little while or it's going to get better, but then there's going to be a time where it gets really bad. Yeah. I want to still be stuck. You stuck with me. So you'll right. come to me. Right. Then you're going to see huge growth happen. Sure. I love that. And I've seen amazing things happen during that. I love that. And so the six, I love the six months. It's six months. We need to get you into a very different mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And then maybe another six months, but I don't even, 
prefer to do that. So yeah. And you know, this this conversation is tilting definitely different than most of the ones that I have on my show. And that's that's more than okay. because uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't always always get an opportunity to talk to somebody like you that we can talk shop in in, in a way mm-hmm. that uh, makes sense to us. But um how do you get over that hurdle or do you experience it as a hurdle where again people have this belief or mindset uh but it really it's coming out of this place where counseling and 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 mental health and psychology is is so desperate to be accepted by medicine right that people go into it thinking well i have insurance and mental health is a is a medical need uh, mm-hmm. I just want a doctor's visit. I just want you to, I want it to show up. I want you to assess me, diagnose me and take two and call me in the morning. Like, so how, how do you get over that hurdle? Cause most people, and, it, and I get it, right. I mean, it, we've made this huge deal over medical insurance, right? I mean, it's, yes. it's probably going to be, you know, on the political talking points for the rest of my life, unless we yep. do something drastically different. Right. So I get it. So people, yep. people look at their benefits and say, Oh, I've got mental health. And so I get it. They, they want to come in. They want to use their benefit. I understand that. Right. Um, but how, how do you help people kind of get over that hump from, yeah, I mean, you can do that pay per session. Well, you can't with you. Right. Because you're not on any panels. Right. Uh, but how do you overcome maybe that kind of question or hurdle or that raised eyebrow about what do you mean a contract for for? Four, well, so part of it's months. I help them focus on what's the goal. Right. The other thing is who you get as your counselor shapes your direction. Mm-hmm. So the worldview of that counselor actually matters more than we realize. Whoever right. I invite in as a counselor, so any counsel I get from anyone. So if I actually go to someone who's been successful at business for business coaching, that's probably smart versus that person who's failed at six businesses um, yeah. and hasn't quite got it together. So it's kind of who I listen there's to. A, even, I mean, there's a barrier there because of the medical model, right? Because there is. So the, the medical model says, CBT is the method. It shouldn't yep. matter which practitioner is applying the CBT and, and, they, and they treat depression or anxiety or, you know, a, a manic episode like a broken arm, meaning yep. that if you have a broken arm, you go to the ER, you go to the ED, you get an x-ray, you say, yep, it's broken. And then therefore we know exactly what it's going to take to, to heal that broken arm, right? We're going to put it in the cast. You're going to be in yep. it from four to six weeks, you'll do some yep. physical, you know, therapy and rehab and you'll be good to go. The medical model wants us, wants the people to believe that things like depression, things like anxiety are like a broken arm. And so mm-hmm. therefore it shouldn't matter who is the practitioner because they're all going to do CBT because that's evidence-based, right? Eight to 10 sessions, you're good to go. And, yep. but that's not the reality, right? That's not, not that's all. not lived reality of well, what it's go through. Hard science versus soft science right. too. You go to a three cardiologist, heart doctors, hopefully they're telling you the same thing. But they're not. You know that's true. They they're not going to tell you the same thing. Like <laughs> if there's something wrong with your heart though, right. you hope that they're finding sure. the same thing. Sure. But the that, treatment but and course and, and outcome, you know what I mean? It's gonna vary. It's different. Yeah. Right. And that's where like for me, like I've part of why I am where I am health wise is I actually ditched the medical model, right. the American one. Sure. And I actually, there was this physical therapist who came to my house one day. I'm totally bedridden. I'm at 110 pounds. We're about to have our third child and I'm a worthless husband at this point. And he lays his hands on my gut and just starts messing with my gut. 
finds out where the problem was, fixes it with massage on my gut, teaches Kelly, my wife, to do it. And I had a couple of ER stents later, and then we learned, and I haven't been to the doctor or yeah. ER since. Yeah. And the doctors have told me that's not possible. And I'm like, right. well, in of one, it is. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I'm, um, you know, the N of one comment again, again, I know what that means. You know what that yes. means, but there's people that are going to listen to this and not know what that means. But um, one thing that I've been shown recently that really kind of just hit me in the face like a frying pan was, you know, particularly in, me in medicine, but mm -hmm. in, in a lot of areas in our life, the the standard approach, the treatment, the decision making is based on the average right? Mm -hmm. That if you present with this, with this disorder, you know, what works for the average is this mm -hmm. course of treatment, but we don't spend a ton of time really breaking down to what extent do I as an individual in of, yep. in, in of one mm -hmm. actually represent the average. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's, and there's a, again, you know, bell curve wise, we're only talking about 60% of the population, right? If you go from one standard deviation to the other one, hopefully I'm right. Yep. Oh man, you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. um, but that's so that's a whole other. I mean, that's a sixty forty gamble. So would you go into anything with a sixty forty gamble and be like, oh yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, I don't know. I <laughs> but I when somebody told me they were they were telling me that from a business standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. That um, you know by the time somebody is teaching you to do something, this is what works. They're teaching you what works on average, but to what extent does this time frame does your you know, specific skill set and goals actually represent the average. And I started thinking, yeah. like, oh my gosh, we do this to ourselves all the time, not just in business. When like medicine, the goal, I think the future of pharmaceutical health will be when we can start, again, it's all about cost, but your body, what does it need? Right. That's totally impossible financially right now. We mass produce a drug that helps, and they're life-saving drugs for people. Sure. Some of these... When I was on Zoloft in college, it was life-saving. Sure. I went from very suicidal to head above water, and it was like, wow. Yeah. But then I took the drug out. I've never had it since. Yeah. And I've been able to stay mostly up there. Depression's another one of those things that comes mm -hmm. and gets me. Most every May when my college students leave, <laughs> this year's a little different. They left yeah, earlier. Right, yeah. Um, but I still, in May, once I turned in my grades, I sunk into a depression again. Mm -hmm. My body's maybe wired that way. But mm -hmm. what I've learned is I can either just be that or I can realize I'm more complicated than that. And I still have choice. The choice is just harder to get out of bed. And so I found ways, my wife knows how to help me be the best self I can be. Yeah. And a part of that, I love your podcast name the upgraded life i think people settle yes absolutely. they settle in their marriage they settle in a job they hate 70 percent of americans hate their jobs right this is not okay <laughs> you're not going to want to get up tomorrow yeah what's going to help you want to get up tomorrow and love your spouse and love your kids you want to wring their neck sometimes i know but <laughs> what's gonna what is it and we fill it full of stuff we buy stuff and that distractions do it. distractions yep Let's watch our sporting events, distractions. That can be fun, but they can become idols. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. How to upgrade our life. It's mindset. It's our hearts. It's what we yep. worship. The people we hang around. Yeah. So you're, you're throwing me a softball there. So how, how do you define uh, Dr. Gilbert mindset? What, what, is, what does that phrase mean to you? I think it's the kind of almost like the way that we, what we lean on in our, in our 
our potential, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of people lean on the idea of lean on your own understanding and lean on themselves, or they lean on their title or their training or their, you know, the, I guess their title, their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that only gets them so far versus that teachable mindset and that, again, that growth mindset, mm-hmm. that idea of, um, I never have all the data. Mm-hmm. We all have opinions about everything that's going on in our country and we can fix it all from the couch. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, we we're can the tell best. everybody else how to do it, but we don't do exactly. much for ourselves. Yeah. And it's scary too, as parents sometimes, or even as a husband for me, it's when am I maybe telling my client something when it's like, I haven't done that. So one of the things I love about, I teach a marriage class every fall. And every fall, I get to remind it all fall of why I love my wife and why I'm committed to my wife. And that's not normal mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to have those reminders. Right. I'm thankful for that. Every mm-hmm. spring, I teach a trauma class and I'm reminded of the weight that some people right in front of me are carrying. And that they're, the way I kind of put it is, how steep is your hill do you have to climb? If you have ADD or some other thing, yeah, your hill might be steeper, but you can do it. Sure. Let's get you the right help. Yeah. Uh, autism, man, that's a steep hill for some people, but you know what? Their brain thinks different. How can we help them be the best, you know, of, of themselves? And what does that look like outside the box? And yeah, absolutely. So I love empowering people to think for themselves better, bigger. And to me, that's mindset. Yeah, that's mindset. Perfect. Inevitably, there's going to be somebody that's going to listen to this. That's going to fit your profile, so to speak, I guess <laughs> he's going to be your, your ideal client. So mm-hmm. t- tell me that again, like who, who, who are you trying to reach? Um, you, you know, you, your coaching, your books, you know, y- your passions, mm-hmm. um, describe, describe that person who's going to be a, the, the best fit for you and what you, what you've got going on. Um, so like if you go to, I have a free Facebook group called the healthy marriage, um, videos every single day on there. Also my Facebook profile and, and other places. My ideal client right now is couples where one of them has been through trauma. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's an affair, but sometimes a lot of times it's past trauma from childhood, mm-hmm. sexual abuse. I see marriage as being an incredibly healing place when usually her has this guy that learns to love her in a way that he's never learned. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, where there's an affair where there's a forgiveness that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful to me from heaven kind of forgiveness mm-hmm. outside of myself. So I love that working with families where there's kids that I've sat in some, some living rooms where the kids basically open fire on the parents of here's all the ways y'all are failing us, but just start helping heal that family and, mm-hmm. and work with that family. Love that. Sure. So that's kind of the main areas. Um, the other key niche, I guess a separate one would be the gender stuff. I work with mm-hmm. a lot of families where their children are struggling with their gender, with their sexuality, attractions, and trying to help them just think through it. Mm-hmm. I think we've done a horrendous job, even as a church, as sometimes trying to make people be what we think they should be. Mm-hmm. Kind of the whole conversion therapy thing. I mm-hmm. totally disagree with that. But helping a person think is critical. Right. It's almost like we've stopped doing that. Right. We just, we just accept it. Feel, right? We've settled. Yeah. yeah. I, if I feel that's just who I am, it's like, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. my feelings are not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. We need to be careful. So my ideal clients are couples, families that are struggling with those 
sexual past or sure. present issues. Sure. Um, so you, you've written the first book, right? How, how do people find that book? Uh, I can't say that.com. Awesome. Great. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that.com or just my main website is healinglives.com or drcorygilbert.com. Great. And so, then when can we expect book number two? Um, hopefully here in the next few months. So it's in the final editing stages and then we'll get it hopefully to print here in the next few months. That's exciting. It's actually already on pre-sale on my website too. <laughs> Writing a book is like having another kid sometimes, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Especially when I find out that I write in passive voice. Oh, geez. my wife has to redo every sentence. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, because the Spanish <laughs> is the opposite. It's, it's sure. Funny how and I think it. our clinical training, you know, kind of gets us to write passive voice too. Right. And no, that's true. Like, I never thought of that. Yeah. It's that's yep. true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and if then, you want, I'd love to come to churches and speak and I love um, just doing stuff. I do a lot of stuff with homeschool families. We yeah. homeschool our kids and um, love coming alongside families sure. and parents in that and, setting as well. And you have a podcast too? Yes. Podcast is called the family features podcast. Mm -hmm. And where can people find that? All the different just type in family features. It's on Spotify and Apple and um, or family features podcast.com. Right. So one thing I like to do with, with folks that are coaches, Corey is, you know, somebody hears this and they say, ah, you know, I really appreciate something that he said, something that really spoke to me and they reach out to you. What can they expect, you know, initially in terms of an onboarding process to get going and working with you? Well, so most people go to healinglives.com and fill out the form at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and right now all my websites are being redone. Thank goodness. Finally <laughs> upgrading them, but they fill out the form and it, as soon as it gets to me, I'll call you right back usually. Um, if I can't call you, if it's late at night, I send an email saying, hey, let's connect. And the goal is to get on a Zoom call so we can talk and see what are your needs. Kind of a, a breakthrough sessions, what sure. it's called. But yep. where are you at? What do you need? So I can figure out if I can serve you. Right. And if I can't, we'll we'll find someone who can. But my goal is, so that's how basically we sure. get on a call. And I can be working with you within a few days if you want yep. to. And so say that works out, that's successful. You made mm -hmm. a connection. You can help them again. Like what, what can they expect initially from you? Um, I, locally. So the people that are more local, I go to your home. I mm -hmm. love coming to your home. Otherwise it's through, I use doxy.me, mm -hmm. which is a platform like Zoom, but um, just more secure because mm -hmm. of all the regulations. But uh, we get on a call like this and we talk and we work through stuff and we develop a plan. Perfect. And so the goal is that you, even the, from the first session have, here's what we're heading towards. Yeah. Um, here's what we're, here's what you want to accomplish, not me yeah. for you. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah. because I know it's your, it's your passion. I know it's something that you, um, you know, eat, sleep and drink on, you know, for again, for a parent that's listening to this and they haven't gone there with their child, give them some words of encouragement. It's never too late. And the biggest thing is, is even when you're older kids, it's not about, in my book, I talk about micro conversations, which implies back and forth. They may never say a word. You keep talking. Mm. Don't say, I've told my kids that I'm here if they want to ask me a question. They won't ask you a question. If they ask you questions, be thankful for that because that's not normal. The norm is that they wish they could talk to you, but they're too ashamed or embarrassed. So you present that space every week or two even. 
we were like, how's it going? Have you, you know, have you, how are you with pornography, masturbation, um, temptation with a girlfriend or boyfriend? You can't say that. Oh, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, how be able to go there and just say, check in, give them that space where they can go. Well, but if you don't give them that space, if we don't start, they probably will keep their mouth shut and not say a word. So Absolutely. please go there. Right. Even if you don't have any answers. Yeah. So that's to me, my biggest word of encouragement is just go there. Just give that space for them to, to emote, to feel, to, sure. um, to yeah. trust you. So that, that's powerful. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Well, we've reached our end of our time. Um, Dr. Gilbert, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. And I know that people that have tuned in and listened will get quite a bit out of this. It was a fun conversation. Hopefully it's the, the first of many. Look forward to it. Definitely honored. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you go. I can't apologize. When you get two very similar people in terms of their training, their career path and their experience, like Dr. Corey Gilbert and yours truly, Dr. Nick Sotelo, together in a conversation, we could have went on and on and on and on, but we didn't for your sake, because this is a podcast and you don't have that much time. So Dr. Gilbert is great at what he does. He's a great coach. He has tremendous knowledge and he really has the expertise that people can benefit from. If you want to find Dr. Gilbert's book, ways to connect with him, ways to help you talk to your own kids so that you really can say that, use the language that matters, have the conversations with your kids that matter. I'll put all of those links all the ways that you can connect with him in my show notes over on my website. My website is www.nicksotello.com forward slash T-U-L podcast, the Upgraded Life Podcast. While you're over at my website, don't forget to check out the three opportunity buttons at the very top. They are scheduling a time with me. I'll give you a free 30-minute strategy session checking out CBD products from Nature's Ultra. And then also, if you're looking to create an additional stream of income, I can help you out with that too. This takes 20 minutes of your time. Click on the button that says Income Boost. Give me your name and email, and I'll send you a presentation. Thank you again so much for listening to my show, The Upgraded Life Podcast. If you got something out of Keith Weber's information, his info on kettlebells and mindset and just his overall story. Let me know by going over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review, and that will tell me that you enjoyed the show. This is Dr. Nick Sotelo, and I'm urging you to do something today to realize and reach your potential, and I'll catch you on the next show.